Hello, Heath Jones here, pastor of Northwood Christian Church, and first, welcome to the Northwood Podcast, or uh, to Northwood Christian Church, if you see yourself as a congregant watching this uh, through the live stream on Facebook or through the pre-recording on YouTube, we're, we're just glad that you're here, and we encourage you to leave a comment, suggestions, or to like, or to dislike, if you think that, you know, maybe we could improve, or uh, to uh, leave a comment about um, what you appreciate about about these 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 chats or these videos that, that we are making um, or the podcast we are making, depending on where you are accessing it. And, and you can learn more about Northwood Christian Church and all that we do at Northwood Northwood's website, www.indyncc.org. That's indyncc.org. And so I encourage you to, to look us up there and to learn more about us and find ways that you can get more involved. But first, before we move on, I should say to our podcast listeners, you're about to hear some ads, uh, which would be a bit awkward for those who are watching through video because we just have sort of an awkward pause. But for those of you listening, um, here are some ads. Pause. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and... Producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And for those of you who never left, or for those of you who are returning, those that was the ads, or not, whichever. We're going to continue our discussion that we began last week about the Lord's Prayer. And what I said last week, and what's something I hope that you're learning, is that I feel this very deeply, this desire to see the Lord's Prayer come alive. And again, okay, getting ahead of myself, let's read it first. And the version that we are reading is found in the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, chapter 6, verses 7 through 13, and we're going to tack on verses 14 and 15 this week only um, for reasons that I think you'll understand in a moment. But first, here it goes. Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 15. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, may your name be revered as holy. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 
and as I said, the, those last verses are tacked on. Um, decided to include them this week. And uh, last week, um, we took a focused look at the 10th verse, where we are told to pray by Jesus, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we noted how we so blithely say the words that we often forget their implications. And what I really wanted to leave you with last week is these are no casual words. When we pray them, we are asking for our time and space to be transformed in such a way that God's vision for us is actualized. We're praying for a place and time where our community will begin to resemble heaven in the priorities of God or to emphasize the priorities of God as we decide how to live with one another. So last week, I encouraged you to read what surrounds the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's Gospel. And what surrounds it is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, or as I said last week, Jesus' greatest hits, which describes the realm of God, our future in Christ. And there we can read about a world where peacemakers, the poor, the brokenhearted, all of these who are seen as disadvantaged here in the world as it is, in the realm of God, they are called blessed. Enemies are reconciled in that place, and all is well. It's God's vision for humanity, for the human race. It's truly astonishing in its beauty and scope, and this is what you have prayed for when you've prayed the Lord's Prayer. You may not have fully realized the implications. We forget this, but we should remember it. You were praying for the for the vision of Jesus to come alive in all of its facets. And today, we're going to look hard at the 11th and the 12th verses, which read, Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And you may have noticed that when this prayer is prayed collectively, sometimes different words are used at this part. Uh, sometimes we, instead of saying, forgive us our debts, we say, forgive us our sins. That's the way we pray to my church, in fact. That's what we, what we say uh, and if you're listening to this online, you'll know that coming the Sunday when I preach this sermon, that's how we'll say it. Forgive us our sins. But there's also the much vaunted, you may have heard, forgive us our trespasses, which I, full disclosure, don't like. Not because of any deep um, theological reflection or maybe um, some study of the biblical language, but be, because I think it sounds like a bunch of snakes hissing at one another when we say, Father, forgive us our trespasses. The sea of voices saying it together sounds like a bunch of hisses. But also, it obscures the prayer. And it makes what we're asking less clear. More about that in a moment. You may have noticed that the word that used in the version, that is used in the version that we're reading today, the New Revised Standard Version, uses the word debts. The same as the old King James Version from back 400 years ago and counting. And not that I think that the King James Bible is the be-all, end-all. I, I only use it occasionally, but I just want to point out that the earliest English translations have translated it as forgive us our debts. Not all of them. There were some that, that were current at that time that used trespasses for historical reasons that I can't get into now. But through the years, it's been rendered other things. And the two most common other translations uh, are, you've heard them, forgive us our sins, as mentioned, and forgive us our trespasses. And before we move on, I'll just let's try, try to clear this up. What should it be? And the word that we are considering here that is translated into the English as debts is a Greek word, ophilo. hope I'm saying that right, ophilo. And this word functions in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's, in fact, 
in every instance, except two. And more than a dozen times, it's used to describe monetary debt. That is, dollars and cents owed. And in the other two examples in Matthew and Luke where it is used, it's still used to describe what others owe, but just maybe not necessarily money, either owe to God or to others, our obligations. And so for that final reason, where the word is beginning to be used not just to talk about monetary debt, but what we owe others in terms of our trespasses and sins, well, then I can see why we would sometimes say sins. After all, in some of the parables that Jesus told, the concept of debt is used metaphorically to describe sin. So the servant might owe someone else a debt. And the authority figure who is owed the debt might forgive the debt. So you look at Matthew chapter 18 for an example of a parable like this. And in those instances, the debt, which is quite literal in the parable, as in dollars and cents owed, is truly functioning as a metaphor for our sins against God, which God has forgiven, which is the point of the parable. And these reasons are why it's appropriate to use the word sin in the Lord's Prayer and why we do, as in forgive us our sins, because the concept of debt can serve as an apt metaphor for sin. But is this how this line in the Lord's Prayer was originally understood? Is this what we're praying for? Just forgiveness from sins, personal and corporate, or towards another, for another, on another's behalf, between us and God, us and others? Is it about sin and fractions and that? sense. Is this what Jesus meant? More on that in a moment, but first let's deal with that other common translation that I sort of griped about a moment ago, trespasses. And you notice, don't get me started on trespasses, because here are, here's a translation that I just really think is not that helpful. And it's not as if the translations of or, the, the ones in the past going back centuries, did not have this English word trespasses at their disposal through the centuries as they were translating the Lord's Prayer. In fact, keep reading just past the Lord's Prayer in Matthew's Gospel, and what do we find? And this is why I included verses 14 and 15 along with today's passage to make the point. And I'll just stick with the King James Version to demonstrate how long this language has been with us. So, <clears throat> right after verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, and then that line that's tagged on, and we'll talk about that in two weeks. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Why is that in some Bibles and not others? There are reasons for it. If we move on to verse 14, here's what we find. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And so there it is. End quote. Uh, an old English, 400-year-old version where trespass is used. That same English word that we say in our Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses, sometimes when we shift from debt or sinner to trespasses. Uh, but it, it comes again right back in the next verse, uh, verse 15, trespasses. And here's the thing, are they translating that Greek word, ophilo, from before in the Lord's Prayer? Different word. The word here is paraptoma, a word which does mean something like the English word trespass, uh, is in, to infringe on someone else's rights or to make a false step or a blunder in relation to another or to God. So whether you're stepping on your neighbor's toes or infringing on their God-given rights, you might be saying, you might be said to have been trespassing uh, in those moments when your life infringed upon the life of another in inexcusable ways. Okay, that's used in verse 14 and 15. In the Greek language there, clearly means something like trespasses. And, and, so not debt, not about money per se. Forgive others when they infringe on your space. You get it. But again, I emphasize 
that by the time we've arrived at verse 14, where our word trespass uh, is more accurately used, we are no longer discussing what Jesus was talking about in the Lord's Prayer. Different word entirely. Verse 12, he said, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Rendered debts again and again and again by Bible translators through the centuries because that is what it means. In verse 14, we're talking about something as abstract as sin. But back to the Lord's Prayer in verse 12, the language suggests that we are meant to be thinking about actual debt as in money owed. And then when you place the line about forgiving debt next to the line about daily bread, now we see that these two requests, they go together. Give us this day our daily bread. In other words, give us what we need to survive. The basic necessities, food and water for myself, my kids, my kin, my friends, and everyone else in the body of Christ, and then everyone else besides. That's the vision. Oh, but wait, in the middle of this prayer that Jesus teaches us, pause, let's address the debt in the community as well because the greatest obstacle to daily bread for many is the economic burdens they carry. In short, their debt. Dealing with debt can be seen as an answer to the first prayer about our need for basic necessities. They go together. And in Jesus' day, that meant bread. Literally, it's what you ate. And brothers and sisters in body of Christ, we are not meant to allow others then and now to go hungry because they cannot pay back their creditors. The Lord's Prayer gives us the words to ask God for a world in which this is not the case. And embedded in the Lord's Prayer is a cry that we miss, but a cry for economic relief amidst the people. And this is what the original language clearly indicates. In fact, Jesus was only asking his disciples to keep an ancient law that they already knew, that they knew well, in fact, which already forbade lending at interest. That was in the Torah, ancient writings, and repeated multiple times. And if you think that I'm misreading or misinterpreting today's text, consider what the disciples would in fact do in the years to follow in light of Jesus' teachings, similar to the teachings we're talking about now. You've read about it, I'm sure. You've heard about it, but in case you haven't, in the book of Acts, which is about the early life of the church, a Christian community is described as living out of this understanding. They understood that it was part of their faith to make sure that everyone in the community was cared for. And one of the ways they did this was by way of economic relief. So imagine this. I'm going to read from the Bible here, from the description of the early church. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. And imagine this coming alive. This is the Lord's Prayer coming alive, I believe. I quote, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone 
who had need. That was a reading from the book of Acts, chapter 4. The word of the Lord, Holy Bible. And here is described a community that took seriously the prayer that we pray every week, that prayer Jesus taught them, especially that line, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And there in that passage I read, you read a description of this happening, and it's possible in every age. Not trespasses, not even sins, but actual economic burdens. For you see, we pray every week for daily bread. And Jesus wants us to realize that sometimes the greatest barrier to having every mouth fed in a community is the debt the community collectively holds. So now I'm beginning to see why we might prefer the other translations. It's a lot less messy, a lot less sticky, a little more simple. I mean, you've seen what might happen to our collective minds when Americans, even Christian Americans, talk about debt and debt relief from time to time. Political bomb. <laughs> So let's keep it sins. It's vague enough. Or better yet, let's push a square peg into a round hole and say, forgive us our transgressions. This can be challenging for the community. And I understand it. That's, that's true. I want to acknowledge that up front. But for many, this is a far more comfortable discussion talking about sin and transgressions than one that talks candidly about debt in our culture about our money owed to one another. But here's the thing. When Jesus taught us to pray in this way, he was talking about debt. How if we, with this understanding, begin to take the Lord's Prayer more seriously and pray in that way? And at this point, I'm thinking, you know, we really shouldn't pray for the second thing, daily bread, if we aren't willing to take a long, hard look at the second thing, debt relief in the community. To take this prayer that literally and seriously, that's a lot and that will rock the boat. But of course it should. After all, that is what Jesus came to do. And in Jesus' day, your creditors, the people you owe to, would be people you knew. Maybe that was what made it a little simpler, if it was at all simple. People who lived in your community... So to pray this prayer in a worship setting would be to possibly pray it beside or very near to the one you owed. And that one could approach you theoretically after having said that prayer along with you. Imagine. And then actually do something to mitigate the debt, if not erase it entirely. You could conceive of that happening in a community where the debt is held by the individuals in a small community. I realize things are different today, and so the application will be different today. So if you owe someone something in your church or in your community or in your family, um, some debt that you could forgive, well, you know, that's a conversation that you could have. I'm not even saying you, you could have that conversation. But what implications are there for our collective debt? How are disciples of Jesus to think about what we owe to our loan companies, our banks, and our creditors, broadly speaking? Let me ask the question differently. Or maybe a similar question differently. What would Jesus think about people not having daily bread? What they need to survive? Because they are so deeply in debt. What would Jesus say when he heard about diabetic children in households who needed to share insulin because their single mother is encumbered by debt? As a friend of mine shared 
of her childhood. What would Jesus think of homes sitting empty when so many are unhoused, as I see around me all of the time? What would the man who taught us to pray, the one who taught us to pray for daily bread and for debts to be forgiven, what would that one think about the entrenched poverty in our culture? Well, in the same gospel that we're reading from Matthew, in the 25th chapter, there is an unnerving parable that Jesus teaches us about the least among us and about how serving the least among us is like serving Jesus himself. And conversely, when we ignore the least among us, we are neglecting Jesus. In other words, we are compelled by Christ to see the image of God in all, to serve the poor as if one were serving Jesus himself. So what would the God who inspired that parable say to us, who taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? What would that Jesus say to a culture that assumes debt as a way of life? You need it for a credit score. Next week, uh, that's complicated. I just, that's, that's, a, that's a nut I'm not ready to crack. And, and we'll talk more about what Northwood can do as a small community of Jesus followers. But more broadly, we can simply acknowledge together that things ought not to be this way in our land. Maybe that's the reaction at first, just an unsettled feeling. This should not be and could be different. Christians must become a people committed to seeing the Lord's Prayer come alive around us in all of its dimensions. And this means, among other things, the eradication of economic burdens in our communities where possible. And a lot is possible. <laughs> if we could come to see our calling as Christians to eradicate economic burdens, poverty, debt, if we could see this as part of what it means for Christians to confront the power of sin in the world, that part of what it means for Christianity to save people is this, well then, we could finally be putting our convictions behind the words we pray when we repeat the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And what I want Northwood people to understand, our folks at our church here in Indianapolis, is that these prayers for daily bread and relief from debt are not cursory side issues for Jesus. The spirit and soul are damaged and shaped by poverty and all that goes with it. So for me, to borrow some evangelical parlance, to engage the issues surrounding poverty is to engage the enterprise to save souls. But in a more holistic way, in a way that takes into account the full person, heart, mind, stomach, spirit, whatever those things are. So when we say that we are participants in God's life-saving work and that we are actively striving to see the Lord's Prayer come alive around us, the Sermon on the Mount come alive around us, well, to see that first, Christians must convert to the message Jesus taught. The one who taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, forgive our debtors, and to realize that he really meant it and that we should too. And then we must come to this place where we become unsettled in our souls so long as our brothers and sisters, neighbors and strangers alike are made poor in body and spirit by debt and economic burdens and for want of bread. The want of bread that is the consequence of these things. We should view payday loan companies as dens of iniquity and perhaps feel towards them the same kind of anger Jesus felt when he drove money changers out of the temple. 
Exploitative lending practices are sinful. As sinful as most sins and more so than others. Church of God, body of Christ, our work is not done until this prayer comes alive around us. And we may never see it. But we can try to get as close to the dream as we can. And we can know from the onset that nothing of this, none of this will happen alone. So perhaps we will, as we discover together, learn that we do not have very good answers to the problems raised by this prayer, but we can do the best we can and the most good that we can do together with all that we have within the scope of our influence. That is how Northwood collectively is looking at it within what we can control. And as for the rest of the world, we need to tell them about Jesus. We need to tell the people who concocted payday loan schemes, just not to beat that dead horse, but just as one example, we need to tell people like that (laughs) about Jesus and about the prayer that he taught us to pray. We need to tell Wall Street bankers and corrupt corporate executives and the politicians who make their way of life possible. We need to tell them about Jesus, all of them. We need to tell a culture enamored with wealth and enthralled to greed about the prayer that we pray. We need to remind ourselves what it really means, this prayer. One that calls on God to relieve our debts and to provide for the basics. We need to we need to tell people about the God who taught us to pray that way. And the more people who join in the prayer, the better chance that the vision cast by this prayer may become our lived reality. I have to think that in the early church, what happened was made possible because more people of all stripes and all backgrounds, economic status, and the social hierarchy were able to find the voice together to pray that prayer, forgive us our debts. And then that's what they did. And to that, all God's people probably want to say along with me, at least I do, a hearty amen. This has been the Northwood Podcast. If you like what we're doing here, please subscribe to the podcast by way of whatever app you use to listen or leave a comment. These points of engagement drive more traffic our way. Or check out our website, www.indync.org. And also check out the other podcasts produced by the All Indiana Podcast Network. Until next time, this has been the Northwood Podcast. I am Heath Jones. Peace.